righty, so uh, Business Insider a few months ago put out a list of the 20 most generous people in the world. And uh, you've probably heard of a lot of the people on this list, you know, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Mark Zuckerberg, Michael Dell, a lot of computer people. Uh, the total combined donation amount of that list of 20 people was $106.8 billion that they've just given out. That's, that's more money than, than many countries have. And these people have just given them out, given this out. Um, Bill Gates, who's number one on that list, he alone has given away $27 billion over his lifetime. That's, that's a pretty uh, generous person, I would say. Um, in, in this week's lesson, Exodus 35 and 36, the thing that might first stick out to us might very well be the generosity of the Israelites. They, they gave more than enough. They, they had to even be restrained from giving um, towards God's work of building the tabernacle. But when we really um, begin digging into the passage, we see that it's actually God's generosity that is the underlying current behind, uh, behind everything. The generosity of the Israelites is actually in response to God's generosity. So how generous is God? God's generosity makes Bill Gates and the other 19 people on that list who have given $106.8 billion, a lot of money, God makes them look like paupers in comparison to his generosity. Colossians 1.16, talking about Christ, Paul says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. All things are from God and for God and through God and to God and because of God. Yes, Bill Gates has a lot of money and he's able to share that money with a lot of people, but God uh, created and rules over all things. If we have anything it's because it's been given to us by God, and we've been called to steward well his gift. And so we're going to be fleshing that out more today um, in, in this passage, because we need to recognize and be constantly reminded of the fact that God has been extravagantly generous towards us if we're going to truly be generous people ourselves. And so, in fact, that's the aim of our passage. God is the ultimate giver who causes his people to overflow in generosity of their own. God is the ultimate giver who causes his people to overflow in generosity of their own. And so I've split up today's passage into three divisions. First off, God gives his people grace. That's chapter 35, verse 1 through 3. God gives his people materials and skills for their work. It's 35, verse 4 through 36, 1. And then God's people generously give back to God. Chapter 36, verse 2 through 7. Okay, so uh, diving right in, starting here in chapter 35, all the way to the end of the book of Exodus, Moses is going to be focusing on the building of the tabernacle. So from here on out, just... Have tabernacle in your mind. It's tabernacle all the time. Uh, But before Moses dives completely into this narrative of building the, the tabernacle, he takes time to remind the Israelites of a certain command. He reminds them to observe the Sabbath. And so 
Why is this command here? It seems a little kind of out of place. Um, it it's, seems kind of random and a little insignificant, just a few verses. And plus, the Israelites have heard this command multiple times before. So why is it repeated here? Um, I, I think it's because it communicates several truths about God that the Israelites needed to know and be reminded of at this point in time. Uh, but in order to draw out these truths, we need to recall where we've been leading up to this passage. So, okay, if you remember Exodus 25 through 31, God gave Moses instructions to follow for the building of the tabernacle and for the organizing of the priesthood. If you're kind of thinking that, uh, isn't this completely repeated? Didn't we like already study this? It's because previously those were instructions and now we are actually building the tabernacle in this chapter 35. But Exodus 25 through 31, those are simply God's instructions to Moses. And he concluded his instructions with the same command to observe the Sabbath. And then from there, we had an abrupt and massive detour off the roadmap of our net, uh, narrative, and we had the whole golden calf situation. Aaron and the Israelites you know, broke covenant with God, the same God who had rescued and redeemed them from slavery. They broke covenant with God, turned instead to an empty idol, and they proved unfaithful and adulterous to God. And so then from there, uh, from that interruption in the story, we then find ourselves here in Exodus 35, where God, it seems, without even skipping a beat, he, he continues on from his last command in Exodus 31 to observe the Sabbath. And so it's, a, it's like he's coming off of um, Israel's unfaithfulness, and he's saying, okay, all right, bump in the road, a major bump in the road with with severe consequences. But uh, you know what? I'm still here. I still love you. I will remain faithful despite your unfaithfulness. Let's pick up uh, where we left off. Let's let's get to work. Let's let's go from here. What was I saying? Okay, yes, observe the Sabbath. He he picks up literally kind of mid-sentence from where he was in chapter 31 and he keeps going with his people and that is the grace of God. Is there a certain sin that you committed in your past, either either recent or distant past that continues to haunt you? That um, the Satan continue throwing those feelings of guilt and accusation into your face, making you think that, that God could never use you because of, of what you did. This is a perfect example of the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and allowing the Israelites a second chance to be in a covenant relationship with him. Yes, we should acknowledge our sin, confess it, and repent of it, but then we must remember the character of God and be free in that. Exodus 34, 6 from last week, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. You too can hear God say, as he said to the Israelites, I am still here. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's pick back up where we left off. Let's go forward, go and sin no more. 
And so that's the first significance of why this command to observe the Sabbath is repeated here. It's to show and communicate God's unrelenting grace towards his people. God, again, as we said, is the ultimate giver. He gives us grace. He gives us his grace. So what other truths does this command um, to observe the Sabbath communicate about God? There are um, three, to be exact. So uh, every other time that God commanded the Israelites to observe the Sabbath, he rooted this command in and based it upon different aspects of his own work toward his people. So first, in the Ten Commandments, Exodus twenty eleven, God roots his command to observe the Sabbath in his own work as creator. So he says, uh, this is verse 11, chapter 20, uh, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Remember the Sabbath. So the command to observe the Sabbath is rooted in God's work as creator, number one. Number two, the command to observe the Sabbath is rooted in God's work as deliverer. Deuteronomy 5.15, Moses is reviewing the law with the Israelites and he says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, The Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Okay, so God is our creator, our deliverer, and thirdly, God is our sanctifier. Uh, This comes from Exodus 31, 13. God says to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. God is the one who makes us holy, who is sanctifying us. So based upon these three aspects of God's work, the fact that he is our creator, he is deliverer, and he is sanctifier, the Israelites were commanded to observe the Sabbath. So why is that important? I think God is showing them that um, all that they have And all that they are is all from him. He's essentially saying, you didn't make yourself. I am your creator. You can't sustain or save yourself. I am your deliverer. I have chosen you. I have set you apart. I am sanctifying you. I'm the one who has worked to make you distinct among the peoples of the earth, not you. And I've done all of this because I love you. So therefore, as you embark upon this work of building the tabernacle, which I have called you to do, that I may dwell among you and and be your God and you be my people, know that your work neither creates nor saves nor makes you any more holy in and of yourself. For these things you are dependent upon me. Therefore, be still and know that I am God." That's what God was communicating to the Israelites, and God communicates that same truth to us today. We are dependent upon the Lord for all that we have in the world, for our deliverance from enemies, for our holiness. All things are from him and through him and to him. And when we take time to simply sit at his feet and rest in his presence and trust him with the work that's hanging over our head, We communicate to God and others that we trust him. 
with the work that we still have to do, and we are dependent on him to get it done, and we know that he is trustworthy, and we will not be put to shame. And so we can live in light of this first principle, that all true blessing comes from God and his grace, not our labor. All true blessing comes from God and his grace, not our labor. And so I must confess, uh, I'm preaching to myself in in this uh, division. I do not like to have work hanging over my head. It makes me more and more stressed out. Exhibit A would be uh, preparing for this sermon, actually. I could not get it to click, and I was working on it up until the very last minute, and it just was constantly on my mind. But I uh, texted a friend yesterday and just just asked her to be praying for me, um, just that it would all come together. She's also a Bible teacher, and without knowing what I was teaching on, this was her response that she texted back to me. She said, trust him. He will faithfully provide and faithfully draw you into total dependence. He does seem to love spending incredibly focused time together, doesn't he? And with her response, I realized I'm not listening to any of my own teaching, actually. Perhaps God wasn't bringing my sermon prep uh, to completion simply because he just wanted to spend more time with me. And he knew that that was one way to keep me in his word and to totally depend upon him. So what work of yours do you have difficulty entrusting to the Lord? Is it possibly your responsibility of raising your children? Are you a helicopter mom? (laughs) Don't be a helicopter mom. Um, Or do you love and sacrifice and train up your children in the way they should go, but ultimately trusting that it is God alone who keeps and watches over and sustains your child, even when you can't, even when you sleep. God never sleeps. He is always in control simply by by peacefully going to sleep each night and letting go of the worries of the day. We show that we trust God, that he's in control and things aren't just going to fall apart because we aren't awake. Or maybe it's a different kind of work. Maybe you're starting your own business or it's some type of of ministry, volunteer or, or vocational, whatever it is, we must hold loosely in humility recognizing that any accomplishments we see coming from our work are simply a gift from God. Psalm 127, 1 and 2 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. So entrust your work to the Lord for all true blessing comes from God and his grace, not our labor. Okay, so moving on to our second division, God has now essentially prepared the hearts of his people by reminding them to observe the Sabbath, and now they are to embark upon the work of of building the tabernacle. So Moses kicks off um, by, again, reminding the Israelites of another commandment of the Lord. He says, from what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering. So there are two key descriptive phrases uh, in this command. One, the items are to be from what you have. And two, the items are to be from everyone who is willing. 
And so then after the command, Moses then lists all of the items that people could bring as a part of their offering. And these items are all the materials that are to be used in the building of the tabernacle. So these are all prized possessions, gold, silver, oils and spices, precious stones, dyed uh, yarns and fabrics. It's, it's estimated that uh, nearly one ton of gold and over three tons of silver were used in the building of the tabernacle. So this was a costly call for the Israelites. God was calling them to give of their own costly and valuable possessions. And on top of that, he was calling them to give willingly. But if you think about it, where did the Israelites get all of these costly possessions? (laughs) They were a nomadic people living in the desert. Where did they get all this stuff? Well, if you remember, as they were leaving Egypt, Moses instructed the Israelites to ask the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. And the, the Egyptians gave it to him. Exodus twelve thirty six says, And the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the Israelites, and they gave, gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. So all that the Israelites had was from the Lord. These weren't their costly possessions. They had been given to them by the Lord for this very purpose. We can give to God only that which he has first given to us. For all things, as I said in the intro, all things come from him. He is the ultimate giver. David recognized this truth in a very similar instance. Uh, much later in history, he was collecting gifts uh, for the building of the taber- uh, temple in First Chronicles twenty nine fourteen. David is praying to the Lord, and he says, "But who am I, and who are my people that you that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand." David recognized that truth. Do you recognize that truth? Do you realize that everything you have, and I'm not only talking about money and possessions, I'm talking about time and talent and and personality and health and creativity, everything that you have has been given to you by God to be used for his purposes. So how are you using all of these things that have been entrusted to you How are you using them for God's kingdom? Are you using them for God's kingdom? Because that's that's the second half of Moses' command. Yes, the Israelites have been given gold and silver from the Egyptians, but that didn't mean that they were automatically going to just use them for God's intended purposes. They had to be willing to give of these possessions towards God's work. But the amazing thing is that God even takes care of that, actually. He works in the hearts of his people so that we are willing to give generously to God's work. Do you struggle with giving of your time and energy and money to the Lord's work? If so, you can ask the Lord to change your heart and he he will answer your prayer. Remember who he is, what he's done for you, his grace that he has bestowed upon you, and he will change your heart. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Okay, so moving on. In the same division, God not only provided all the materials needed to build the tabernacle, he also then equipped the workers. This is Exodus um, thirty-five thirty. Moses says, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, 
And he has filled them with the spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts. He has given both him and Oheliab, son of Ahizamach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. So God has uh, appointed and equipped Bezalel and Oheliab to direct and lead the work by the power of the Holy Spirit in obedience to God's word. It is God who has given them uh, their skill and ability and knowledge and every other thing that they need in order to complete the work. And then now it's just up to Bezalel and Oheliab, Oheliab to actually do the work. Uh, but isn't it amazing, though it's, it's all God providing the skill and actual ability to even do the work that he has created and called them to do for his purposes, it's all God, but still Bezalel and Oheliab, as difficult as their names are, have the privilege of being recognized by name in scripture for all of history to know that they played a part in God's work of building the tabernacle. God is so gracious to let us be anywhere near his work, much less play an integral part in it. We who are sinful and weak and flawed and inefficient and we mess things up, yet he, he calls us by name and lets us be a part of what he's doing. And he delights in using us. And he equips us that we might be used. He first equips us just simply when he creates us. Each, each of us are born with different abilities and wirings and, and persona- personality traits. But then also, when we become Christians and are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we receive different gifts from the Spirit to be used for the good of the church and the glory of God. God gives the skill that we may participate in his work. And so that leads um, to our second principle. When God calls us to do something, he provides all the needed direction, ability, and resources to accomplish it. When God calls us to do something, he provides all the needed direction, ability, and resources to accomplish it. So what has God called you to do? (laughs) It's the question of the hour. Has he called you to a work in which you feel completely inadequate and, and unqualified, but yet you want to do it, you are compelled to do it? That that's the Lord leading you. Yes, in and of ourselves we are inadequate, but God has given us his spirit and provides all that we need to accomplish the work he has given us to do. Think of Bezalel and Oheliab. They were embarking upon building the tabernacle, the very dwelling place of God. Yes, that would have been an overwhelming task to take on had they not been equipped and empowered by the Spirit of God. So what has God called you to do? If you don't know, ask him. He, again, will make that evident because he desires to use you. Whatever God calls you to do, he will provide all the needed direction, ability, and resources to accomplish it. God is the ultimate giver. And so then that leads um, to our third and final division. So Bezalel and Oheliab have recruited their team of workers. They've collected from Moses all of the uh, offerings brought from the people. And so now they are to begin their work. Everyone's gung-ho, ready to go. And so I want to read, uh, starting in chapter 36, verse 3, part B. I'm going to read all the way to the end, uh, verse 7. 
And the people continued to bring free will offerings uh, morning after morning. So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. So what an amazing picture. At this moment, the Israelites understood the grace of God. They understood that they did not deserve to have this second chance at a relationship with God. After they had broken covenant with God and proved unfaithful and adulterous to him in favor of a golden calf, They understood his complete faithfulness. He stayed. He stuck around. He still wanted to dwell among them and be their God and they be his people. And they understood what a privilege it was to be able to be a part uh, of his work. They understood that God is the ultimate giver. And, And that in turn caused them to overflow in generosity of their own. It's the aim of our passage today. Paul also writes about the same truth in 2 Corinthians 9, a chapter that's all about giving generously to the work of God. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, Paul says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, all, 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 you will abound in every good work. It goes against our human nature to just generously give stuff away. For that, we need the grace of God. And thanks be to God. He is the never-ending, never-dry fountain of grace who delights in generously giving grace to his people that we may then generously give of ourselves back to God and to his work and to his people. And this is all for the glory of God. The The Israelites illustrate this for us out of gratitude for God's grace The Israelites generously gave of their material possessions for the building of the tabernacle that the glory of the Lord might dwell among them. And so that leads to our third and final principle. God's grace is made visible when God's people are generous people. God's grace is made visible when God's people are generous people. So how will you make God's grace visible this week? How could you do that? Perhaps you could give generously to someone who could never possibly return the favor. Just giving um, exceedingly um, without expecting anything in return. Or perhaps this month you could give financially to God's work and you could give more than you can actually spare and you can trust God to provide. There's an excellent quote by C.S. Lewis on your curriculum um, that talks about uh, that concept of giving more than you can actually spare. Or perhaps for your Easter dinner this Sunday, you could invite someone uh, who does not know Jesus Christ. You could invite them to join you and your family for Easter dinner and you could show them the love of Christ. How will you make God's grace visible this week? This week, this very week in which we celebrate what I just mentioned, Easter Sunday, the most pivotal event in all of history. 
when Jesus Christ willingly for the joy set before him gave, gave to us, gave for us his life for you and for me, his enemies at the time, we, at the time we were his enemies as we were yet sinners. He gave his life for his enemies. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, died, and then three days later rose again to conquer and defeat death on our behalf. What do we gain from Jesus giving his life on the cross and his resurrection three days later? We gain the forgiveness of sins. We gain the righteousness of Christ. We've been clothed in his righteousness. We gain his spirit. We've been indwelt and sealed by the Holy Spirit, who is our helper and guide. We've been adopted as daughters of the king. We've been reconciled to God. We now have peace with God. There is now no condemnation. Jesus is right now alive and exalted to the right hand of God the Father and intercedes for us. We have the hope of a future new creation and our own future resurrection from the dead. I could go on and on. We have all of this and more because God first gave. Also, do y'all know what today is? It's, It's the Wednesday of the week leading up to, to Easter. Many people call this day Holy Wednesday. And do you all know what, um, what went on on this Wednesday when Jesus was here um, leading up to uh, going to his crucifixion? Uh, this was the day that he was anointed at Bethany uh, by Mary. She came and brought um, the most expensive alabaster jar of perfume that she could possibly get her hands on, a year's worth of wages, and she poured the perfume on Jesus' head, anointing him and showing her love for him. And the disciples freaked out and said, you're wasting this expensive perfume. You could have sold that and given it to the poor. But Mary knew the value of her Savior. He knew what he had done for her and what he was about to do for her, and no cost was too extravagant to give to her, to give to him. And her generosity and love for Jesus is contrasted with Judas, who on also the same day betrayed Jesus uh, for 30 shekels of silver. So Mary knew the extravagant generosity of Jesus, and so therefore nothing was too extravagant to give to her Savior. It's because God has been so extravagantly generous toward us that we can be extravagantly generous toward him and others. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God is the ultimate giver. We give because he first gave. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you have given everything for us. You've given your son that we may have eternal life, that we may have a relationship with you. We thank you that we get to celebrate that this Sunday. Lord, let that not be lost upon us. Lord, remind us all week, all year, what you've done for us, Lord, because it's only because you first gave, you first loved us, that we can love others and love you, Lord. Thank you so much for this lesson that is so powerful. It at first seems like a random passage in the back of Exodus, Lord, but there's so much truth packed into it. We thank you for the provision of your word, Lord. I also I want to pray for Ray right now, Lord. I know he's probably beginning his debate right now or right in the middle of it, Lord. I pray that you would continue giving him energy 
and words and strength um, beyond his understanding, Lord. Use him mightily. Um, Just thank you for his um, love for you and his um, sacrifice of of time and energy, all for you, Lord. Um, We thank you for um, each of these women in this room who who desire to also give for you, Lord. I pray that you would give us each strength and energy to continue doing so. Lord, be glorified uh, through our words and actions today. And we ask all these things in your precious son's name. Amen.